two people are singing on American Idol, and they both have phenomenal voices. I mean, in both cases, you can see the talent's very impressive. And yet, when the one person sings, the song seems cold and lifeless. There's nothing about the performance that seems to grab you. But when the other person sings, everyone in the audience is just moved to tears. Both singers, very skilled and gifted, but the one connects with the audience, the other doesn't. Why? Two managers supervise the very same restaurant. They each take their turn running the night shift. One night, the one boss needs some extra help, so he turns to the employees and says, hey, anybody willing to stay late and work some overtime? And immediately, everybody responds. Every one of those employees just rallies around the manager, says, yeah, sure, glad to help. What do you need us to do? A couple of nights later, the other boss is in charge, and he needs some extra help. And so he asks, hey, anybody willing to stay late and work with me? And immediately, they begin to make excuses. Sorry, I got something else planned. Yeah, me too. Can't help. And they all head for the door. One manager connects with the employees. The other one doesn't. Why? Well, in both situations, it's not the words, and it's not the songs. It's the person speaking the words and the person singing the song that makes the difference in how the others respond. There's obviously something special inside the one person that you don't find inside the other. I saw this in Greg Allen. I will never forget the night that he came here to New Hope. This is about 20 years ago. He came here on a Sunday evening. And he talked to us about worship, what it really means to worship the Lord. At the time, he was the worship leader for Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Every Sunday morning, he would stand before 20,000 people and, and lead them in singing. But here's what was so intriguing to me about his ministry. For the longest time, he was their youth minister, not their music minister. So when they hired him to be the minister of music, he really had no training or background in the field of music at all. And then once he took over the music ministry, his life got turned upside down. The doctors found a polyp on his vocal cords, and they had to perform three different surgeries to try and correct the problem. And after every one of those surgeries, the doctor ordered long periods of rest. In fact, over a period of three years and three different surgeries, there was a, a period of time, 16 months, where Greg was not allowed to talk or sing at all. Can't talk, can't sing? Well, did he resign the position? I mean, why have somebody up here on the platform leading others in singing when they themselves can't sing? Well, Bob Russell, who was a senior minister at the time, he said, listen, the reason why we hired Greg Allen was not because of his musical ability. I mean, he's a great singer. But he said, the reason why we asked Greg to be our worship leader is because that young man had a heart for God. So for a period of 16 months, every Sunday morning, Greg would be up here in the platform with a vocal team behind him, and they would do all the singing, and he would simply stand there and lip sync. And again, you might think to yourself, well, was it really necessary to have Greg up there in the stage? And Bob Russell would tell you, yes. Because though nothing was coming out of his mouth, something obviously very special was coming from his heart, something that words cannot describe. There was just something about Greg and the way in which he worshiped the Lord that inspired everybody else in that auditorium to want to worship the Lord too. I think that's what we see here in 2 Kings chapter 2. As we watch this young man, Elisha, and he refuses to leave the side of this older man, this older prophet by the name of Elijah, three different times we're going to hear the older man talk to the younger man and say, hey, why don't you just stay here? Just stay here. God's got an assignment for me, and I can handle this all by myself. I really don't need you along. And each time Elisha says, no, I'm staying with you. Why? Because he saw something inside that older man, something very special. He recognized that what made the ministry of Elijah so powerful was the fact that the Spirit of God was working inside of him. 
And this young man, Elijah, realized if I'm to carry on after him, if I am to be his successor, I need that same Holy Spirit working inside of me too. That's why I think the key verse in this whole chapter, 25 verses, the key verse in the whole chapter is found right in the middle of the chapter, verse 15, where Elijah has already been taken out of the world. He's been taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now we see his protege, Elijah, Elisha, standing at the Jordan River, and he performs the same exact miracle that Elijah just did a couple of hours ago. And so we hear these 50 men from Jericho standing there witnessing all this. And in verse 15, they say, oh, the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elijah too. That's something special that we saw inside the life of that older man. We now see it in the life of this young man as well. Now let's read the scripture and see how all this comes about. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And there at Gilgal, Elijah, the older man, turns to the younger man. Elijah says, hey, why don't you just stay here at Gilgal? God's got an assignment for me down there in Bethel, but it's something I can handle by myself. You, you really don't need to come along. See, Elijah knows that his time in this life is about to come to an end. And before it comes to an end, there are certain people he needs to visit and talk to. He really doesn't need Elisha's assistance on this. But Elisha realizes, hey, Elijah's not going to be around much longer, and I don't want to miss any moment being with him. So, hey, Elijah, if you don't mind, even though you've got nothing for me to do, just let me tag along. Just let me be your silent partner. So the last part of verse 2, Elisha, the young man, says, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving. I'm coming with you, Elijah. So the two of them, they went down to Bethel. And here's the reason they come to this town, Bethel. Verse 3, the company of the prophets of Bethel. See, there's a school here, a college, a seminary. Elijah, for years, has been working with these students, working with these young men, training and equipping them to become prophets too. So now he comes down here to give one last lecture to share some words of encouragement, words of warning, words of wisdom. And the students that day, they realize this is their last time to be with their leader. So that day, they are all ears. And when the lecture comes to an end, as the students are walking out of the classroom, they're thinking to themselves, hey, does Elisha realize that Elijah is not going to be around that much longer? So it says, verse 3, the company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha, the young man, and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you on this day? And Elisha says, yeah. I know. Just be quiet. Meaning what? He's emotional. You see, one of the most difficult parts of any relationship are those moments when you have to say goodbye. You know, you bring your little boy, first day of kindergarten, you drive him up to the school building, he hops out of the car, he walks into the building for the first time. This is the first time you've ever been apart like this before, and watching him walk into that building, it's hard that day to say goodbye. Or you move your daughter into the dorm there at college. At college, it's going to be more than 1,000 miles away. So you know it's going to be a long while before you have a chance to see each other again. So that day when you finally have to part and say goodbye, man, is that hard. Or you stand at the graveside where for the very last time you watch the final remains of your loved one being lowered in the ground. And that moment can be so painful. That's the kind of emotion that Elisha's feeling right now. I know that soon Elijah's going to be gone. And I won't have the chance to see him again. And I'm just flooded with emotion. I, I, I haven't had a chance to process all this. So please, just give me some space. I'm not ready to talk about this yet. Please be quiet. That's what he's saying. Now, this same scene is going to get repeated two more times in two other places. Watch. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, Hey, Elijah, Elisha, you just stay here at Bethel. God's called me down to Jericho, and I'm going to do the same thing down in Jericho I just did at Bethel. So again, 
I really don't need you to come on. You can just stay here. And again, Elisha responds, no, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them come to Jericho. And when they get to Jericho, once again, they find a company of prophets. There's a school here, a college. Elijah himself has established this. And he's here to say his final goodbye to the students. So he does that. He takes care of his business there. Uh, He he parts ways with them. And now God's made it clear to Elijah he needs to come down to the Jordan River. So for a third time, the older man says to the younger man, Elisha, why don't you just stay here at Jericho? It's just something between me and God. You really don't have to be a part of this. And Elisha says, no, I'm coming with you. And when the two of them come down to the Jordan River, this time they don't come alone. Skip down to verse 7. And it says 50 men from the company of the prophets from that school at Jericho. They realize something momentous is about to occur this day, and they want to be sure to witness it. Now, they're not trying to intrude in the moment. They know there's something special going on here this day between Elijah and Elisha. So they keep their distance, but they realize that God is about to do something extraordinary, and we want to be sure to see it. So it says, verse 7, 50 men from the company of prophets at Jericho went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had now stopped at the Jordan. If you're a Jewish person, if you're an Israelite, this is a special place. I mean a historic place, a place, epic, all kinds of epic moments that occurred over the history of God's people here at the Jordan River, and something epic is about to occur again. Verse 8, Elijah took his cloak. Remember last week? This is no no ordinary coat. This is a very distinctive garment. Nobody else in Israel wears anything like this. This sets them apart from everybody else. This marks them as God's man, God's spokesman, God's prophet. And now Elijah takes this garment and he begins to roll it up so it resembles a long stick, a staff, much like the rod that Moses held in his hand that day when he parted the waters of the Red Sea. Well, we are about to witness a similar miracle here. Elijah took the cloak, rolled it up till it's like a staff, and with that staff he now strikes the waters, and the waters of the Jordan River divided far to the right, far to the left, so there's plenty of room for the two of them, Elijah and Elisha, to cross over on dry ground. Same kind of miracle that Joshua and all the nation of Israel witnessed. When they were at this very same spot, God parted the waters of the Jordan River far to the right, far to the left, so there was plenty of room for Joshua and the whole nation of Israel to pass over on dry ground and enter into the promised land. Well, here's Elijah getting ready to enter into his promised land, heaven itself. Only he's going to enter into heaven from the same place that Moses did. Not from the promised land, but on the other side of the Jordan River. You see, I think the writer of 2 Kings is deliberately trying to jog our memories. Hey, does this moment that I'm describing to you, does this remind you of another moment? Think back to the days of Moses and a transition has taken place and the leadership role is now being uh, handed from Moses down to Joshua. Do you not see a parallel to this moment here where a transition has taken place, where the leadership role of Elijah is now being handed down to this young man, Elisha? Something very, very significant is occurring here right now. So they get to the other side of the Jordan River, verse 9. When they crossed over, Elijah turns to Elisha and says, tell me, Please tell me, what can I do for you? Before I leave, before I depart this life, what is it that I can do for you? See, here's the real reason why Elisha wouldn't leave his side. He needs a blessing from the older man. It's much like what Isaac did for Jacob and what Jacob did for his 12 sons. There was just this tradition among the Jewish people that before the father would leave and depart this life, before he died, he would gather all of his descendants. And each one of those offspring, he give a special and unique blessing. That's what Elisha is seeking. Elijah, you become like a father to me. And before you go, 
I need a blessing from you. So Elijah turns and, and basically says, what is it that I, what kind of a blessing? What can I do for you? And here's how the young man responds, last part of verse 9. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elijah, I have come to recognize that what made you so strong, so successful in your ministry was the Spirit of God working in you. And if I'm to carry on after you, I need that same Holy Spirit working inside of me as well. Well, right away, verse 10, Elijah turns around and says, hey, you asked for a difficult thing, meaning this is something I can't do for you. This is a blessing that only God can provide. So to make sure this young man is in the right place, in the right position to be able to receive this blessing from the Lord, Elijah gives him these instructions. Last part of verse 10. If you see me, if you see me when I'm taken from this world, that blessing from God, it will be yours. So verse 11, as they're walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And once separated, then Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha, seeing this, obviously deeply moved, tears running down his cheeks. He cries out, my father, my father. See, over the years, a special bond has developed between these two people. And then just as a way of commenting why he's going to miss Elijah so much, he says, Elijah, you were like the chariots and horsemen of Israel. You were like an army for us. When you were around, we always felt so secure. When you were around, we always had this sense of courage and confidence. But now that you're gone, how are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? And here's the whole point of this scripture. Elijah's gone, but God isn't. God's leader has passed on, but God still remains. And God will continue to work on behalf of his people. How do we know that? Well, watch what happens to Elisha. He now picks up that garment, that distinctive garment from his mentor. And now he puts it on. Because now after being discipled by Elijah for years, now this young man is ready to be God's man, God's spokesman, God's prophet. And it's confirmed in this way. Now he comes to the Jordan River. And as he stands there, he does the very same thing he saw his mentor do. He takes off that distinctive garment and he rolls it up like a staff. He strikes the waters, the waters part, and he passes over on dry ground. And those 50 men from Jericho are watching all this. And verse 15, it says, In the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching this, they said, The Spirit. Oh, do you see what just happened? Yeah, we just saw it with Elijah. It just happened. The Spirit of Elijah is now resting on Elisha. One night, a little boy was having trouble sleeping, so he went to his father's bedroom. He said, Daddy, can I sleep with you tonight? And the father said, Sure, son, climb on in. So the little boy climbed into his, his father's bed. But just being there with his dad was not enough for this little guy. Before the little guy could really relax and go to sleep, he, he needed something more. So he said, Daddy, it, it's so dark, I can't see anything at all. Is your face turned towards me? You know, it, it, meaning... Are you here in the midst of the darkness? Are you keeping watch over me? Are you keeping watch over me while I sleep? And the father responded in a very calm voice and said, Yeah, son, I'm looking at you right now. My face is turned towards you. And 30 seconds later, that little boy was sound asleep. I think that's the same kind of reassurance that's being given here. Not Elijah, this giant of the faith, this man who's made such an enormous impact on the life and history of Israel. Now that he's gone, everybody else is in a state of panic. There's a sense of anxiety. What are we going to do? How are we going to be able to handle this? But now the 50 men from Jericho, because of what they just witnessed at the Jordan River, they realize, hey, it's not Elijah we need. It's the God that Elijah worshiped and served. It's God that we need. And now that he's performed the same miracle through the life of Elijah that he did through Elijah, now we realize God is still here. His face is still turned toward.
Now, what do we learn from this? I think one of the best commentaries on this scripture is what we find over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When you hear the Apostle Paul say, we have a treasure, and we have this treasure here in jars of clay. You know, everybody in Bible times had a clay jar. Number one, because it was cheap. And number two, you could just use it for about anything. I mean, it's just so handy to have. And even though that clay jar was fragile and easily broken, no big deal. You just go out and get another one. I mean, they were cheap. Even the poorest of the poor could afford to have a clay jar. And everybody in Bible times recognized that the value of the jar was not the jar itself. It's just a cheap piece of pottery. It's so plain and ordinary looking. No, it's not the jar, but it's what the jar contained. Sitting inside that plain, ordinary looking jar, there might be a a priceless pearl, or there might be a piece of gold. Or sitting inside that jar might be a piece of bread or a drink of water, something that's going to get you through the day. See, it's not the jar itself, but what you put inside the jar, that's what really counted. Well, the Apostle Paul comes along and he uses this image, this really common image that everybody in the world of the Bible can relate to, and now he uses this image of a clay jar to teach a lesson. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What is it that separates the Christian from the non-Christian? Well, it's not the clay jar. Meaning, everybody has a body. And this body of ours is like a clay jar. It's fragile. I mean, it doesn't take much for this to break down and fall apart. Sicknesses, injuries, viruses, accidents. I mean, this body's breaking down all the time. We all go through that struggle. So Paul says, what is it that really separates the Christian from the non-Christian? It's not what you see on the outside. It's what you find on the inside. Like a clam holding a pearl. So this cheap piece of pottery was actually made to hold something priceless. It was made to hold a treasure. You see, when you become a Christian, now the Lord takes up residence here. This is where he lives. This is where he works. This is where he wants to make his love for the world known. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, when we preach, we don't preach ourselves. Hey, this is just a clay jar, here today, gone tomorrow. There's nothing here to brag about. No, when we get together as a church and we talk, our conversations are always centered around Jesus because there's our treasure. Here's what really makes this life count. It's God working in us. And one of the best ways we preach that message, one of the best ways we maintain that focus upon Jesus is what we do every Sunday morning when we take time to observe the Lord's Supper. Now listen. For the longest time, I didn't get this. For the longest time, I did not really appreciate the the significance of what was happening at the time of communion. For the longest time, I thought, okay, we're sitting down, we're being quiet, we're taking a moment or two to just think about Jesus. So why waste our time filling all those little cups with grape juice? And why waste our time filling all those trays with tiny pieces of bread? I mean, we'll just get a, a giant whiteboard out here. We'll write in big letters, think about Jesus. And we'll ask everybody in the audience, hey, take two or three minutes for some silent meditation. And that would be sufficient, right? Oh, because there's something much more going on at this time of communion. Do you remember the night when Jesus established this memorial, what we call the Lord's Supper? It was the night of the Passover. That's no accident. The Passover was always celebrated with a meal, an actual meal. Why? because of what happened back in the book of Exodus. It wasn't just that a lamb was slain and the blood of that lamb had to be applied to the doorpost. No, the lamb itself had to be eaten. It had to be taken in. So it is at the time of the Lord's Supper. In a very special way, we are taking in Jesus and all that He has done for us. 
We are recognizing that a covenant has been made. A relationship has been formed. And it's at this time of communion that we once again embrace this person, this real person, this divine person. We embrace Jesus. And we invite Jesus to embrace us with His grace and His mercy and His love. And that's why at this moment in time, the key words are the words of Jesus when He said, take and eat, take and drink. You know, it's just like any meal. In order for the food to do you any good, you've got to take it in and digest it. You may have the greatest meal in all the world sitting there on the table in front of you. Every part of that meal cooked to perfection. But that meal's not going to do you any good if you just sit there and look at it. No, to actually be fed and nourished by that meal, you've got to eat it. So it is when we come to the time of the Lord's Supper, we are saying, here's the food I need. Here's what really feeds and nourishes my soul. I need Jesus. I need His strength. I need His grace. I need His wisdom. I need His love. I need His life in mine. Because without Him, I perish. Without Him, I fail. Without Him, I fall apart. Without Him, I am nothing but an empty jar. That's 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha. Elijah's gone. And now Elisha comes and stands at the Jordan River. This impossible barrier. How's he ever going to get across? Verse 14. He prays. But what does he say in his prayer? Where's Elijah? No. He prays, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters part and he crosses off. And 40 men from Jericho witness how God answered that prayer. Hey, the same miracle we saw Elijah perform, this young man is now performed too. The same mighty God that was working in the life of Elijah, that same mighty God is now working in this young, last, young man's life as well. Where is the God of Elijah today? Can other people see that he's living and working in your life? Let's pray. God, I want to borrow the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 5. I pray that today that we as your people would be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would just open up our hearts and give your spirit the freedom to just really be able to take charge in each one of our lives, to, to have the freedom to just have his way in us so that all day, every day, he can help us keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus so that all day, every day, he can help us maintain our focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that all day, every day, He can help us to follow Jesus. God, I, as a church, I want us to be known, not as a people who are led by our instincts or led by our impulses. God, I want us to be known as a people who are led by Your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for that blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.